Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistenden.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistenden.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hey there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. I am so thankful, so grateful that you're here spending your time with me wherever you're on the world, doing whatever it is you may be doing. I really appreciate it. Um, it's right before I got on the call, speaking with my guests, but it's a gray day here in New York City. I was hoping that we start the week with sun, with clear skies, but... No, it was a difficult dog walk this morning. My dog doesn't like the rain, and it's going to be a difficult dog walk this evening because the rain doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Uh, but anyways, super excited to share this episode with you. Um, so let's dive right into it. My guest works with people on, on becoming servant leaders. And so there's a lot that I want to dive into. So I'd like to introduce the Adulthood Revisit community to Miley Iski. Miley, how are you? And welcome to the Adulthood Revisit podcast. Good. Thank you, Richard. Good day today. We have sunshine here, so you can keep your rain. <laughs> <laughs> Super envious. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to jump into how, how you work with people. But before we get there, on your website, you share a lot of detail about how you got to where you are today. Specifically, you share yeah. your journey. So if you're okay with it, I'm, I'm all up for it. Why don't we start with that? If you want to start with your journey, um, particularly there was something that occurred maybe at this point, some 20 years ago with a job that you were in. Um, right. So why don't you take us back then where, where you start, where your kind of career path started, you hopped around a little bit. Uh, but yeah, take take it from here and share your story with the Adulthood Revisit podcast. Well, I graduated from college in Colorado. And my first job was in Lansing, Michigan, if you can imagine, just a little bit of culture shock there. And talk about gloomy days. We don't have gloomy days in Colorado. That doesn't happen. 
So I was out there for about 17 months and did my technical training in Detroit and went on to Dallas, Texas, all in a matter of about 20 months, two major relocations and stayed in Dallas for about four years. Loved Texas. Texas is just a hoot in so many ways and made great friends in the, all in the same corporation and then came back to Colorado Springs. I had never lived on the front range of Colorado. I went to college in Fort Collins, but I was raised in the mountains. And the front range has some interesting personality of its own, especially in the weather. I mean, extremes. So I was living here and I decided I wanted to take that first step into first line management. So I went from one massive corporation to another massive corporation and stayed four more years. And that's really where I found my passion in operations. I love the operations and how a company works. How do you fix the processes? How do you get people to reach goals? How do you keep them inspired and have fun and use all of those methods that were used on me? I had tremendous leaders in those first 10 years. And I hit a place where I said, you know, I'm going to try to make another company switch. But I did it in a way that was actually away from instead of toward what I really wanted to do. And we had come out of a big transition. We had two big organizations merging. And I wanted out because I felt like I was getting squeezed out. And that was my career-ending mistake, to never take that position away from something. But if you're going to take you know, a big leap and you're going to go into a new position, make sure you do it because you want the position, not because you're running from something. And what I didn't realize at the time was I didn't have the discernment for the politics in an organization. And I went absolutely out of the frying pan into the fire. And it was something I couldn't navigate because I didn't have the experience. I thought I did, but I didn't. So I couldn't stay beneath the fray. And that was so when the, when the, everything happened with the project and all of the stuff that I was, I guess, blamed for, I don't know, never did really figure it out. Here I am without a job. Now, I wasn't just without a job. Now I'm without my identity. The job was everything. It was 60 hours a week. How do you fill that time? And it was honestly like the bug on the windshield. It was just all of a sudden dead stop. And I started to realize I wasn't even living my life. I was doing what everybody else wanted me to do. And that's soul stealing. If you're doing that kind of stuff because everybody else expects you or you think everybody else expects you, then you're not doing what you need to be doing. And I thought, oh, I'll jump right back in. You know, there's companies around here, no big deal. Well, <laughs> that was the fateful day was September 10th of 2001. And you heard the date, didn't you? What was the very next day? So the very next day didn't mean the same thing to me that it felt that it did to the nation, especially people in New York. You know, it was massive for you guys. We, we were watching from the bleachers. You were right there. And in those times, all I could think of was, okay, we'll get through this, move on. Except it changed so much. We were already changing in the, in the high-tech industry. Coming off of 2000, nobody wanted to spend money. Everybody was trying to purge all of the stuff that didn't work and hunker down and all the technical projects stopped. And then 2001 with 
you know, when everything happened on September 11th, it changed everything. So now there's no way back in. There's no way to get back to that high-tech career. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I honestly didn't know the answer. I took little jobs to keep the bills paid. And then I started to change because I started to realize I don't want to live like that. I don't want to do nothing but work anymore. And I had to start to find the things that meant something to me. And that's when my aging parents became so important and my nieces and nephew became so important and being outside and enjoying where I live a whole lot more than just work. And it's a huge transition for somebody who came out of school thinking I was going to have a 45 year career and it wasn't there anymore. That, I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but that's something that I, I definitely want to ask you and, and something that I ask a lot of my guests. It's looking back now, and maybe the answer is that you never thought about it, but what, did you have any inclination or was the plan always, I'm going to, I'm for, for that 40-year or 45-year-old tenure with the same job? Did you have any desire to ever do your own thing? I mean, I, obviously a lot of it is dictated by how you raised, where you raised and whatnot. But what, looking back now, do you think you ever thought about it? And if so, like, what were those thoughts like? Well, I, I think I always thought I'd have more, I don't know whether it was financial freedom or the ability to make that segue at some point. And I was raised by small business owners. You know, I mean, I, re- I still remember when my dad came home and said, okay, this is it. And I I was like, okay, I didn't really know what it meant. That was my sister's first year of college. The timing was odd, but they did it. They pulled it off. And, you know, we may have eaten a lot of vegetable soup in the winter. I remember that, but because he was working with the farmers. So the farmers were, you know, quiet in the winter and it's the dead of winter in the mountains of Colorado is the dead of winter. And, then they bought the pet store, like just as I went to college. And so now we have the two businesses and that's what put us through school. Well, I came out with zero debt. That was the family project was to get my sister and me college educations. And I've always threatened my nieces and nephew, you know, grandma and grandpa have a, you know, they're batting a thousand, don't screw it up kind of thing, because it was important to them for us to be educated. I couldn't imagine not finishing my degree. And then I had it and I was hanging out with all these people who are taking corporate jobs. Okay, that sounds good. You know, relocations are, are required and that was where we were. And that's what you did and you put in your tenure and then you finally got to say where you wanted to live. And then I thought, okay, now what? And I don't think I thought through, okay, now what? Because when you're like 30 and you've achieved more than you thought you ever would, that was another mistake. Grab those mentors and say, what do I do now? Don't try to navigate this as a novice of 30, you know, and because you do end up taking a path that you didn't plan to take. And that's honestly what happened with me. It just went the wrong direction. Not necessarily in a bad way. It just wasn't planned. And I, I kind of like plans. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, about you shared a little bit about this a moment ago, but also like when when things kind of ended with your career. Oh sorry about that. When things ended with your career, at September tenth, two thousand one. Um, you shared that all of a sudden there's this huge void that was created, sixty hours a week, upwards of something like that. What 
again, maybe at the time, because just because you're in it, like you never gave it much thought. Looking back now, what exactly did, if, if you can isolate that, that span of time and what, what did those years mean to you? Right. I know you shared just a bit that it was somewhat like your identity, everything was tied into that job, but what was it? Were, were there other things? Was it like you, you were now like having to figure out for the first time in your life, security, financial security, how to navigate relationships that you didn't have to really navigate before you shared, you shared right. a little bit about your aging parents at the time. So what did that career mean to you then? Well, it was really interesting because if you pull that out and you have all these hours, I know that some people honestly go for and have trouble with the alcohol and the drugs and how you get, luckily I never did that. What I did do was here it was in September and I knew the days were going to get shorter. The yard is no longer needing attention and I've got all these hours. What am I going to do? So I sat down at the, at the dining room table and I remember reaching for my Bible and diving into Bible study at a level I never dreamed, seriously never dreamed. Well, by January and February, I was teaching it. And so, you know, working little piddly jobs and teaching. And then a couple of years later, I went on my second international mission trip to Armenia, of all places, a very cool place. Um, I completed a two-year writing course. And that was Honestly, I wanted to delve into the writing. Am I good at it or am I not? Found out that was a talent. So work then had a different meaning because I came at it the other way. I had to fill those hours or go nuts, especially because the nights were so long and the days were so short. It was cold outside. I couldn't go do the running away from it. I had to deal with it. And so then I'm, you know, setting up the office at home and Everything is here. And of course, back then we didn't have near the telecommunications we have. We didn't have the high speed everything. Um, The television became a lot less important. Keeping my mind busy allowed me to sleep because my mind is just voracious. It wants something to chew on. And so it's really, for me, it was important to feed my mind and keep myself from just going nuts because I need, I wanted to learn. We have a tremendous library system here. And I mean, tremendous for the size of community. We can get anything at a library. So I really delved in there, whatever I was interested in, there's books for it. And so that's really what I did. What, what came or what was the next step then? So you spent some time in um, like exploring spirituality, exploring writing, which was that a gift or, or a talent skill, however you want to frame it. It is. Have you had it ever is. tried like stretching before, maybe in, in your corporate job? Well, I couldn't figure out why I could actually express myself better and in better organization in writing than I ever could verbally. What was up with that? Well, not too long ago, like probably in the last four or five years, I found that that's a trait of introverts. And I thought, wow, it's too bad nobody told me that 25 years ago because I can put my thoughts together, which feeds into my teaching, which feeds into my coaching. So if I keep them in order and I am prepared, then the whole thing fits together. And so that goes back to a little bit of your question of how does this work in a group coaching setting? I have a full-blown program 
that's based on a workbook that I created that actually teaches the new leader, change how you spend your time. This is not a theoretical thing. This is, this is how you change your time usage to where you're not doing all the work yourself. You've got to do your work through your team and change what you do every day. And that's taking the step up into leadership. You do that by example. So that's kind of the writing question became, I'm an introvert. No wonder I can write. Yeah. So now I want to I want to get back to the journey to where you are today because I I think if if my timeline is right after you came at, you started exploring writing and whatnot you started working as a, a copywriter is that is that accurate I did some stuff with oh that surprised me too because I kept going down the same avenues as far as the same topics because my programming career started in insurance. So then you get into copywriting and I'm writing about insurance. I was like, okay, this is weird because I know this stuff inside out. And most people can't write about this stuff that's got so much intricate, you know, anything, partially because they don't have the vocabulary. But another reason is because they try to get into the weeds. People don't care about the weeds when you're copywriting. They want to understand the topic and what it does to them. And so it was real easy. And so I was like, okay, yeah, that's odd. (laughs) So how did you end up, like, what exactly was, I guess, the, the, the urge or drive to end up coaching, whether it's in the group setting or, or working with individuals and leaders to become better leaders? Like, what was the path after, you know, you, you worked as a copywriter for a bit and whatnot to, to right. come to the conclusion that this is what, or how you want to spend your energies? Well, and it went, it went into, you know, the digital marketing realm. And so the very first one that I ever wrote was six hour ebook. And I was like, wait a minute. So now we're back at the writing thing. Wait a minute. You know, so you, you kind of start to realize if it's easy for you, not everybody finds writing easy. A lot of people really struggle with writing. So how could we make it easier for them? And so it, right, a six hour ebook is just a little, you know, ebook that really can transform how you write to where you understand that your mind is grappling for ideas. Well, how do you turn off the writer block idea? And how do you prevent that to where your mind is concentrating in the direction you want it to? And it all comes down to getting organized. Well, organization is something that plays into everything that we do. If you don't sit down and make a plan even for today, you're going to flounder for the first two hours. So how, why do people say get up at five? Okay, I get up at six. I don't do the 5 a.m. thing. I do the 6 a.m. thing. And then get organized and figure out where does the day start and where are the break points and where are the drop dead I have to do these things. Well, then I started thinking about new leaders. And I remember flashing back all the way to that first management position. And they spend so much time getting you in there and getting that first, you know, getting that role filled. And then they let you go because they're so far behind on their own job because they spent all this time getting you and they kind of forget about you. And you have to figure out how to no longer do that same job you used to do. And now I have to lead, you know, eight or 10 people doing that same job, but I'm not comfortable up here. I want to be with them. And people keep slipping back. And I watched other managers do this. I had an advantage because I had never done the job my team was doing. I came in from a development side. They were in customer support. Well, now I've done customer support every way you can imagine. And I love it because I love the customers. 
but I wanted to be able to help people who came through that transition didn't have good leaders as examples, had never seen it done. You don't teach leadership, you model leadership. Well, if you've never seen it done, how can anybody help you? You're struggling every single day to figure out how to spend your time. And I saw that uh, with so many people who just took that step up and never had any help. This may be, a, I think, a very good question to ask here because it blends your, the past with where you are now. But what have you ever taken some time to think about things you may do differently or may have done differently then yep. um, prior to like things ending with your corporate job? <laughs> Definitely. One of the things that really right after that, I just, I bailed. I looked for the biggest burrow I could hide under and I left everybody in the past and I would do that differently. I would have brought all my friends with me. And luckily we touched base again after a number of years. And I, you know, I had one tell me, I really wish you'd have stayed in touch. And that I should have done differently. Because walking that transition, you have to have people. You can't do that on your own. And I could have tapped into that. And I saw a tremendous change in my relationship with my parents. Because they had been there. Why wasn't I tapping into them? You know, they're 180 miles away. And they were coming up probably about, probably once a month. You know, just sharing stuff and spending time together. And those roles switch as they get older. They need us. You know, so you learn what do they need? What do they not need? What do I protect? What do I have my sister do? What do I let my mother's sisters do? And even where do the grandkids fit in? Because they're grown now. So you start to learn, you can't do this all alone. And I love the quote, isolation is the dream killer. And Barbara Shear said that. She passed away just a few months ago. But we cannot just do everything on our own. And I think as leaders, we're almost expected to. You're expected to know the answers. Well, uh-uh, that's, that's bad. I, I struggled way too much because I believed that. That was drilled into us. You are to lead. Well, what if I'm leading in the wrong direction? What if I'm answering the wrong question? I need to ask more questions. And that's really kind of where I'm focused. And I want to ask people more questions, especially of leaders. Are you even solving the right problem? Are you making it worse because you think you know everything and everybody else is kind of behind you going, here we go again. You know, and I, I went through leaders like that. And that's honestly one of the, the thoughts that I've proposed. You learn more from lousy leaders than you do from good leaders because you can see what they're doing wrong and you can feel what they're, how they make you feel and don't make your people feel that way. You're going to learn more from the people who misstep than the people who just make it look so easy. I remember my first manager in Dallas. I thought that man was a genius, but I had no idea how he did it. None. How come we all felt respected? How come we all felt like we were geniuses? And then we switched to a different manager and I went, oh, wait a minute. This one doesn't have a clue. And then I realized the difference between the two was how much we were trusted to just take care of business. And that was very important to me as I took on a team. How do I trust them and build them up as experts? 
and stay back far enough that they can tell what I'm doing. So when you, if you don't have the contrast of the good leader and the weak leader, lousy leader, horrible leader, whatever you want to call them, then it's hard to tell what is leadership and what is it not. And for people who've never had those tremendous leaders, they might almost have an advantage. If they go exactly opposite of all the stuff they saw, they could be amazing leaders. As long as you don't feel like, well, there's nothing I can use. I think there's a lot you can use for other people if you don't look at it as a bad thing because it was visible if it was bad. Uh, That's that's probably a perfect segue because I wanted to talk a lot of the listeners and the, the, the audience of this show tend to be like small business owners, solo and and small business teams. So let's talk about that leadership. And and you touched on one of the qualities that you think makes for great leaders, being able to trust others around you for someone who's, who maybe at this point either manages a small team or possibly, you know, is a solo show. Like what then would you say are, are qualities or characteristics of becoming or leaning into being a great leader? Well, I think that, you know, that's a perfect question because that's right where my audience is. Those are the people to help them take that step means the moment of trust. You've got to trust somebody. And a lot of them don't. They're mavericks and they're great at what they do. But the problem is they run the business during the day and then they do all the stuff they're supposed to be doing in the evening and they miss family life. And if there's one thing I could give these people, just one thing, it would be go home for dinner every night. And when you start thinking about that's the goal, you never miss another child's game or special program. You don't miss putting them in bed anymore because you've actually walked through that seg- that segue of understanding the team takes care of the daily operation. I lead. And sometimes leadership means you go to the kids program and you leave the operation to the team. And when that's the goal, you start doing things completely differently. You refuse to put your family on that crucible. Oh, someday the kids are growing up today, do it today. And you start to figure out how to, you don't have to hire employees at the outset. Some people make that mistake because now you've got this huge commitment because you gave somebody a job and now you can't afford it. Don't do it that way. There's lots of ways to free up your time. And that's part of what I do teach. I'll admit, because this is actually, this is going to be a little selfish request here, but I'm, <laughs> I do it all my own between my law practice, between affiliate marketing, uh, between my podcast, you know, all these things I'm, I'm here like taking this on. What would you say, do you think there, there are maybe some perspective or, or mental blocks that people have to overcome like when you when you work with business owners and leaders at the outset, like is there a common thread of things that people have to overcome, whether it's ego or whether it's you know security issues like trust? What are the common threads that people have to let go of or overcome so that they can start becoming better leaders? Well, I heard it. I heard it put as this is the villain in their story, and I was like, oh, I like that word because the thing you hear from experts that want to become that genius leader is nobody does it better than I do. And I have that problem with my writing. You probably noticed on the website, those blog posts, I can't turn loose of them 
because I look at other people's writing and I have to fix it. You know, it's like, oh, use a word that's not for a nine-year-old. It's okay to break open the other pages of the dictionary, you know, and well, you have to write simply, mm, maybe not. But we all have those things that nobody does better than I do. Well, maybe they could. You know, if you're talking about building a website, there's people who do it really, really well. And there's people who do copy really well. And there's people who do graphics really well. I would never attempt my graphics without my graphic designer. He's amazing. He has bailed me out of so many things and he makes it look so easy. And he reads my mind, which is really hard because he's in England. Um, so those things, you have to choose just a couple of things. You're like, okay, I could let go of this, I think. You know, you're not trying to let go of the most core things at the beginning. So if we're talking about you, yours is a podcast manager. That's the thing you're going to want. They don't cost you a million dollars and you could actually probably sell a couple more, you know, cases or find a couple more law clients or whatever to pay for it. But you're spending time that, shoot, they do it in their sleep because that's what they're actually geared toward. And everybody has different gifts. And mine, in all honesty, is leadership. And I had somebody yelled at me one time, you can't do anything if it's not leadership. And I went, is that an insult? <laughs> I don't think that's an insult, you know? So I think that whatever somebody would yell at you and say, you can't do anything without recognizing the legal ramifications, that's a compliment to an attorney. That's okay. So whatever it is that you're just like, mm, I just hate that. That's the first step. That's the thing you want to peel away. And actually find that person. There's lots of places to find them. Um, but I think that that's the thing we all need to do. What's the, don't Not the core. Try some of the edges first. And if you're doing your own accounting and you're not running an accounting firm, you're crazy. Because of the tax laws. Because of the, you know, the, what do I want to say right here? Can't think of the word. How do you actually stay compliant? On all of the stuff that's going on and all the stuff they change on a whim across state lines and, you know, federal this and state this and county this and city this, how do we do that stuff and not drive ourselves crazy? And those are the things, if you can get rid of the fringe, then you can start to realize, what do I enjoy doing? Without it, we can't make the choices. Do you think that there's a reason why, or again, this may be like surveying a cross-section of the people that you've worked with, but why do you think business owners, leaders, maybe it's a choice, maybe it's not a choice, but why do they, they work so hard on all these things? Like, is it insecure, insecurity about finances, the money part, or is there something behind that that keeps people like me from letting go and sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for now? Um, <laughs> delegating the tasks, yeah. those fringe tasks to, to others. Well, I think it's very similar to a child because you're not going to just lay the child down. Well, that's how much we care about our businesses. So when you breathe life into something, you're not going to turn it over to somebody because you, you don't know how they're going to handle it. You know, so there's, there's different things that you, prob you probably would never turn loose of. But there's other things that if you just said, you know, let's try that. 
Let's try just that one thing. And it could be your advertising. It could be your graphics. It could be your, you know, copywriting. It could be something that's not the core of your law practice. But you've got to choose how you want to spend your day. And I don't think people stop and back up and say, no, wait a minute. How do I want to spend my day? I know that I, this is not it, but what is it? And, you know, I love to talk to people and I love to do this and I love to do that, but I don't like this. Well, there's people who, li- who like that thing you hate. And I don't think it is the money. I really don't. I don't think that entrepreneurs worry a whole lot about spending the right money. Some of them throw too much away, but I don't think that's it. I think it's honestly the pride factor. It's what if they break it? Well, don't give that part away. I want to go, go back a little bit to your when you shared about trust and like mm-hmm. your experience um, that 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 leader, that manager that you dealt with, like one of the the elements or qualities that they shared that you realize makes for a great leader is trust. How do, again, business owners, um, when they're working with with new people, with team, how do are there concrete steps that you encourage people to take? Uh, in addition to just giving work off, but what the, what that interaction is like when they actually give work off or delegate tasks to other people? What's how do you coach people around trusting more? The actual steps of it. So the first thing is let create an elimination process in your selection. We have a tendency to kind of go fishing. So we, you know, you string the one little line and the little hook and you hope you put the right kind of bait on and then you want the right kind of fish. And what we need to do is we need to cast a net and make them eliminate themselves. And the way they do that is maybe assign a project, maybe tell them that their resume has to include something. Or if you're doing paper ones, which some people still do the paper ones to make people do that extra step of mailing them. Make sure it's in a red envelope. Where the heck do you get a red envelope? You know, make them do something that automatically eliminates 99% of them because they don't read your instructions anyway. So that can help you with eliminating, but you can also hire based on a project. So if you have a specific thing you want done, there's places you can go and just have the project done. And then you're going to get down to just a couple of people who complete it correctly. Then you've got people who can pay attention to details. They have the skills you're looking for. It may cost you a couple hundred bucks, but it's a lot less expensive than bringing on a full-time employee that you didn't have to turn around and terminate. So we've got to turn some of our processes around. Now, if you've got somebody on your team and you're trying to train them, tell me what you think training is. And most people think it's how-to. Training is not how-to. That's probably one of the most important things you look. When you look at the stack, And I'm looking at the very base of it is my processes and procedures. And a business owner says, I don't have any processes and procedures. Probably true, because most don't. So if you can at least get it down to this is how I deposit money in the bank, that's a good process. And then what's the next thing up? The how-to. Okay, so I've got, let's say I'm using QuickBooks for my accounting. A lot of that's automated between the bank and, you know, wherever you decide to put all of those numbers. How-to videos for QuickBooks are easy to find. That's not training. So when you get up to how you specifically want something done, that's training. Because how they do it is differently than different than how you want it done. You're sharing who you are. 
and what makes your law practice different than the billions of other law practices from New York to all across the country? What makes it Richard's? That's training. And that's what I think people miss out on because what do I tell them is not as hard as it sounds because if you want to get from point A to point B, I would expect them to find out the how on their own. You don't have to teach them the how. Let them figure it out because they're an expert in something. It would be like me sitting down with my graphic designer and teaching him how to use Photoshop. No way. Let him do that. So those are the things that as we look at training people, what's the piece that nobody's going to know if you don't open your mouth as the business owner? And that's part of the program. That's what I teach. If you can share some of the... Like maybe like the larger or, or most impactful lessons that you've learned maybe from leaders in your own life, but also from people that you've worked with in your program. I would say one of the biggest ones goes back to this conversation of asking more questions and where in society or in our culture, something shifted somewhere that you have to know all the answers. That's not where you want to be. Because I saw this happen when maybe my hot button became statistics and how they can totally skew everything. So if you see a stat in anything that you don't like and you grab that and you start making decisions, you need more information to be able to guide anything based on a stat. It could be on a website. It could be your bank account. Whatever it is that you're looking at, and there's no context around that, you're going to start making the wrong decisions. And I literally watched a leader end her own position. She didn't end her career, but she wasn't on our team anymore. When she decided that all of a sudden the system had to be clean, it had to run completely clean. Well, this is an overnight insurance cycle. That wasn't going to happen. She didn't ask any questions. She just made a command and the team just revolted. And I thought, you don't trust us. So when we pick something up and we give a command as a leader, first of all, you're not being a leader, you're being a manager. And you got to separate leading people from managing the work. And those two things, people say, well, I don't manage. Yeah, you do. Or the work's not getting done. Those things are two sides of a coin. So how do we actually get the work done through the people by leading them to a specific outcome? Outcomes are what we need to be managing, not processes. And this is how you better do it this way. Let them write the processes, not leaders, because so, we don't have the right perspective. So the big thing that I saw was how do I break the trust, not build the trust? Because the trust is going to build on its own if I'm not doing things to break that trust. And they need to trust me and I need to trust them. Well, if I can't trust them with my business, why are they on my team? So how do you grow into that? You do it by delegating the stuff that they can't break. You're not going to hand somebody your checkbook. If you do, (laughs) you'll be out of business. But you really have to look and say, okay, wait a minute. What can I carve out? What can people help me with? And it doesn't have to be, I mean, expect to build the trust. You're not going to jump straight to a trust level of 100. It's not going to happen. And I, I still look back at that first manager and I think, wow. The stuff that he just expected us to take care of, you wanted to move heaven and earth for him. Because when you did, he was going to say thank you and he was going to do it in big ways. 
And so I think that what we do is we don't realize where we're misstepping to trip up our own relationship with the people who report to us. You use the term, and, and it seems like codified in, in your program, servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in your mind between, le- I guess, traditional notions of leadership versus servant leadership? Or in another way, like what specifically to you constitutes servant leadership? Well, I kind of like to go back to when I look up servant leadership on the internet, I get a bunch of lists of traits and I'm like, no, servant leadership in a specific situation is all about everybody getting through to the other end alive. You know, I want, I want the team to learn when we're doing things. I want the team to develop skills. I want them to build confidence. I want them to build teamwork. And all of those things happen if I stay out of the way. So if I'm the tracks with the train, and I've used the analogy, if I'm the tracks and they're the train, I'm not on the train. I'm in front of them. And I move stuff out of their way so that they can proceed to the goal. And if I get on the train, everything stops because they're going, where'd the tracks go? So the thing about servant leadership is I'm doing what I do for the benefit of the team. Not for my benefit, not because it's going to build me up. And I don't think there is a list of things you can talk about. I just think that I'm asking questions. I'm listening for what's not working, guys. Tell me what the problem is. And if I see something weird, to not react. I need to back up and take a breath and say, wait a minute. I see something here. Go find somebody who can tell me what's happening oh, that's happening. It's a system that went down. It's, you know, I remember one time I walked out of my office and I said, what's going on? We can't answer the phones. And I said, say that again. Here we are in an inbound phone. What do you mean you can't answer the phones? Well, when we pick them up, we we can hear them, but they can't hear us. I was like, that's great. Who did something? You know, so I'm trying to figure out who to call. Called the guys like, what's, oh, that didn't work, he says. So he backed it out, rebooted the system, which dropped all the phone calls. Customers call back in and we're fine. But they didn't have the, the link to the person that I did. My job is to move obstacles at all times. And so my thought is always of them. And if they take care of the customers, I can take care of them. And then it works. But if I'm worried about the customers, who's taking care of my team? That's servant leadership. That's a very, I like that tracks and train analogy. That's a very powerful analogy. For, again, small business owners or so uh, who maybe work with a small team or solos who are trying to like delegate Mm -hmm. tasks and work out, what are some, if, if the power in being a servant leader is asking questions, are there some, and this may lead into like how you work with people and how you coach them, some questions that they may want to have at the ready, if they're not used to delegating and asking questions, what are some questions that leaders, business owners and leaders can start asking maybe of themselves and the people around them to just start getting comfortable with being a servant leader? Okay. So it's a real simple one. Why? Anything you run up against, anything you ask why, and then you get another answer. And then you say, why? You have to be careful of your tone because you don't want it to kind of descend. And it should change as you go five times. Why? And because it, 
sometimes we look at the very first statement and we say, oh, we're going to take the action on that. And we're going in the exact wrong direction. And if we start to ask why of ourselves and of them, then we start to find the real problem or we find the right track or we find, oh, that's not what we need to address. We really need to address this thing over here. And sometimes it'll look like there's a system that's a problem. Oh, no, it's not the system. It's actually a customer that did that. I remember that. We were looking at a system that kept coming down. It kept crashing, kept crashing. And the customers look finally started walking the floor. We were in Dallas. They were in Lansing. And they're walking the floor trying to find somebody who's working in a particular way. And what she was doing was the screen was, was crashing. And she would just refresh it and do it again, refresh it and do it again. Well, we thought the system was the problem. The user was bringing down the entire system because of which, because she had so much tenacity. So, you know, if it's why, 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 you should end up in a different place. So when we ask questions, we need to make sure we also focus on the work and not the people. So what are we doing task-wise that's causing X? What are we doing in our, in our work processes? What are we doing in everybody taking lunch at the same time in customer support? That doesn't work. Um, and all the things that we do, why works as long as we're careful with it, but focus on the work and not the people. Then we don't step on toes. That's pretty powerful. Um, Miley, this, is, this has been super great. If you can share for, uh, for a little bit exactly, you know, the program that you have, how you work with business owners and leaders, um, what, what does that constitute and look like when you do work with the people that you coach? Well, the thing that I, I start with, it's really the first 40 pages of the workbook is really focused on the leader, not on the team, not on the concepts, but on the leader. Give yourself a chance. I mean, there's a page in there that says, did you know that you're going to want to tell people this, you know, like show up to work on time. And some people are just like, I can't believe I have to say this stuff. But you do, because you're training a workforce that is honestly no longer trained. We are not in the 90s. We are not in, you know, the 80s where everybody in the workforce was kind of like walking into Walmart. You could just pull whichever one you wanted. And they were trained, ready to go. That is not where we are. We have got to train our workforce again. Well, this thing kind of walks you through and opens your eyes to, first of all, your personality. Your personality is a certain way. If you hire everybody just like you, you're not going to have the breadth of experience you need, the breadth of personality, the breadth of strength, if you look at it differently. Because you, I look at things differently than you do. You look at things differently than the people around you. There's cultures that are different. There's locations that are different. And now with where we all are, you can hire somebody from anywhere. And you don't have to move them because we're all working virtually and we kind of like it. So when I, when I want, what I want them to understand is incrementally start to push that work down into either a virtual team, a temporary team, a project-based team, and you got to learn how to let go of that stuff. And the only way that you can get your own work done is to let go of the stuff you're not supposed to be doing. And you get to choose what your day is. And that's part of what the program is. What is in your perfect work day? And yours is going to be different than mine, going to be different than everybody I've ever talked to. 
That's that's the dream, right? That that's what every entrepreneur I think starts off with. And the stories that that's the one parallel I find with the people who I I've met in my own business, in online groups and whatnot. It's like you have this dream and you get muddled in all of the the ins and outs and you realize like you wake up and you created a job that doesn't really accomplish what you want. So I agree with you there that it starts with creating your day and what is it like, what's the whole purpose of doing this if you're not living the day that you want? So I I appreciate sharing that message. Miley, you have quite a bit of ways that people can get connected with you. Um, Look forward to linking all those up in link, but what are some of the best ways that people who are listening to this that want to connect with you can connect with you? Well, definitely go to MileyEsky.com because that's going to be the center of all of what I do because that way you can actually get to me, see some of my training, see my blog, blog posts, see how I write, but also LinkedIn. And the reason I'm kind of going the LinkedIn route is I don't think many of us really understand what's going on on the Facebook route. And I just want to kind of have everybody over on the LinkedIn side because that is kind of where we, you know, do the business thing. So that helps. We'll definitely link those up. Uh, MileyIsky.com and also the um, your LinkedIn profile. You also have a Facebook group. I, I know you shared that like Facebook may not be the, the best place, but you do have a Facebook group. I do. I'd like to share that. It's Ask More Questions with Servant Leaders. Very awesome. Miley Isky, I appreciate you. I, I like the concept of servant leadership is something that I, one, aspire, and two, as I'm growing my businesses, look forward to undertaking. So I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, as we're wrapping up, if you'd like to take any final, uh, take the final moment to share some parting words to the AR audience. Well, I think the big thing is just remember that we don't walk this journey by ourselves. And make sure you take as many people as you can with you because you never know who's got what you need and you never know who you can help. So remember, isolation is the dream killer. That's super powerful. Miley Iski, everyone. Again, link that up, MileyIsky.com. Let's link up her uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And with that, Air Nation, until next time, take care, be well, bye for now. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online, as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.